0: Welcome to What Catholics Believe. Again, another uh, special uh, recording here for the sake of addressing some of the things that Francis has said on his recent trips. Recently, that is, June 26th, he was on a flight from Armenia back to Rome and was asked uh, a variety of questions by the, uh, the media who have discovered, the people of the media have discovered that he's more than willing to expatiate uh, just about any question under the sun, um, and some of them that don't deserve to be under the sun. Uh, Francis was asked by a uh, certain Tilman Kleinung, who is from uh, apparently uh, yeah German national radio. Um, uh, it's kind of curious. Uh, uh, Klein Jung says to Francis, "Yes, also I'm about to depart for Bavaria. Thanks for this question." But Francis re- uh, replies, "Too much beer." And Klein answers, uh, "Too much beer, holy father. I wanted to ask you a question today. You spoke of the gifts of the shared churches, of the gifts shared by the churches together. Seeing that you will go in, I believe, four months to Lund." for the commemoration of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. I think perhaps this is also the right moment for us not only to remember the wounds on both sides, but also to recognize the gifts of the Reformation. Perhaps also, this is a heretical question, perhaps to annul or withdraw the excommunication of Martin Luther or of some sort of rehabilitation. Thank you. So Kleinung, for German National Radio, is asking Francis if it's time to rehabilitate Luther, lift the excommunication against Luther, annul it, uh, whatever, to recognize the gifts that they share and the gifts that have been brought to the Church by the Protestant Reformation. Francis responds as follows, I think that the intentions of Martin Luther were not mistaken. He was a reformer. Notice, not a heretic, he was a true reformer. That's so what he's saying here, is a real reformer of the church. Perhaps some methods were not correct. Only in his methods was he wrong, perhaps. But in that time, if we read the story of the pastor, a German Lutheran, who then converted when he saw reality, he became Catholic. In that time, the church was not exactly a model to imitate. There was corruption in the church, there was worldliness, attachment to money, to power. And this he protested. Yes, Luther protested all those things, it's true. And then he decided to turn against the faith and to um, annul the faith, to deny the faith and create a faith of his own, based on heresy. Luther did protest these things too, but he also unleashed a wave of these these same terrible things, worldliness, attachment to money and power. Himself, he brought this into existence here by his Lutheran revolt here. Francis doesn't say anything about that. But he goes on to say that Francis was protesting these evil things, worldliness, attachment to body, to power, and so on. But he goes on to say about Luther, that he was intelligent and took some steps forward, justifying, and because he did this. Again, the translation leaves something to be desired here, of course. And today, Lutherans and Catholics, Protestants, all of us agree on the doctrine of justification. There he says it out of his own mouth. Lutherans, Catholics, Protestants, all agree on the doctrine of justification. It is heresy. The Lutheran teaching of justification is heresy. Condemned as heresy by the Catholic Church. Francis says he all agrees. He agrees. And the Novus Ordo Church, which he calls Catholics, Lutherans, Protestants, they all agree, they have the same doctrine of justification. On this point, which is very important, he did not err, Francis says. He made a medicine for the church. So Francis was the, uh, Luther was a, a, a doctor. He was a doctor who was, who was healing the church of its ills. This is sick. This is sick. But then this medicine consolidated into a state of things, into a state of a discipline, into a way of believing, into a way of doing, into a liturgical way, and he wasn't alone. There was Zwingli. There was Calvin. Each one of them different, and behind them were who? Principles. We must put ourselves in the story of that time. It is a story that's not easy to understand. Not easy. Then, it's certainly not easy to understand the way Francis tells it, that's for sure. Then things went forward, and today the dialogue is very good, okay? I guess this is the forward now with the Novus Ordo Church. This is going forward. That document of justification, I think, is one of the richest ecumenical documents in the world, one in most agreement. But there are divisions, and these also depend upon the churches. In Buenos Aires, there were two Lutheran churches, and one thought in one way and the other. Even in the same Lutheran church, there was no unity. But they respected each other, they loved each other, and the difference is perhaps what hurt all of us so badly, and today we seek to take up the path of encountering each other after 500 years. So Francis actually is, is stating uh, that he believes the Lutheran doctrine of justification, but the church, the Catholic Church has condemned as heresy. Um, this is scandalous, of course, but then so much of what Francis says is scandalous. And now to pass on to a little later in that same interview, a question asked by the uh, CNS, the Catholic News Service, Cindy Wooden. Holiness within the past few days, Cardinal Marx, the German, speaking at a large conference in Dublin, which is very important on the Church in the modern world, said that the Catholic Church must ask forgiveness to the gay community for having marginalized these people. (coughs) In the days following the shooting in Orlando, many have said that the Christian community had something to do with this hate towards these people. What do you think? Well, before uh, giving Francis's answer, allow me to just point out here that uh, we grieve the, the death of, of these people, we grieve the murder, the terrible crimes that were committed there, certainly. We cannot cheer these things. All the more so because we fear the, the spiritual state of the souls there uh, that were sent to judgment. Uh, but the fact is that this was in the service of the of the, Iranian, of the uh, Islamic State that this man was acting, he said so himself, he pr- pr- proudly proclaimed it. He frequented the same homosexual club and he was identified by a number of homosexuals as having had liaisons with them and having had those tendencies such that even his father stated publicly at one point that he was, in fact, this way. So, but this, this doesn't count. It doesn't count. No truth counts. Uh, all that matters is the propaganda. That's all that matters, the lie. Turn it to, in, the, 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 make, make a bigger lie, as lie as you can to serve the purposes of even a bigger lie. And so, you know, we're told that the Christians are the ones who brought this about. The Christians are turning them against each other to hate each other and to kill each other now. And it's all the Christians' fault. Um, again, when you begin to lie, there's no there's no limit as to how far you can go, to the point where you you embrace the lie altogether, and you can say the most outrageous things, the most foolish things, the most idiotic things, as long as they serve the purpose. It doesn't matter. You just say them over and over and over and over and over again. And people who do not know how to think, but all they know how to do how to, all they know how to do is feel they'll begin to feel the way you want them to feel, and that's all that matters, because they're, they're capable of thought. Talk about building machines that can think. We're building people who can't. We're providing people who cannot think. Uh, that's the real danger, not the artificial intelligence. It's the, it's the real natural stupidity that, is, that, that we're, we're fomenting and fostering in human beings, and it's criminal, but we're doing it. And so the lies are winning, and they're taking over, they're infecting like, like the diseases. They're worse than Ebola, they're worse than Marburg virus, they're worse than any other disease. Uh, the, the, the disease afflicting the human soul right now is the real, the real danger to us all. That's the real epidemic. Pandemic, I would say. But take a look at Francis's answer here to Cindy Wooden's question about apologizing to the homosexuals because they've been marginalized. Francis says this, I will repeat what I said on my first trip. I repeat what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, that they must not be discriminated against, that they must be respected and accompanied pastorally. Accompanied pastorally. Go along with them. Don't try to stop them. Don't tell them it's wrong. Just accompany them pastorally. Now there's an expression devoid of any real meaning. Because it can mean anything you want it to. Something Francis specializes in, phrases like that. One can condemn, but not for theological reasons, but for reasons of political behavior. So condemn, condemn but it's not a theological, it's, it's political. It's a political combination because of the behavior. We're talking about sin here. Francis doesn't seem to understand the meaning of the word, offense against God. Certain manifestations are a bit too offensive for others. No. Oh, so it's a matter of certain manifestations being offensive for certain types of people. Maybe that's the problem. There are certain people who are just a little hypersensitive to this thing and they overreact to it. Is that the problem, Francis? Is that what we're really talking about here? But these are things that have nothing to do with the problem. The problem is a person that has a condition, that has goodwill. How do you know, Francis? Who are you to judge whether he has goodwill, any more than whether he has bad will, Francis? You would just assume that they all have goodwill. You don't assume that about anybody else. Certainly not traditional Catholics. You assume they all have bad will. But when it comes to those who are actually living the homosexual lifestyle, you just automatically cart blanches them. They all have goodwill. Why, Francis? What does it say about you? In any case. We must accompany them well. Again, accompany them. This is what the catechism says—a clear catechism. So, those who are defending the 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 catechism of the council of the catechism of the Catholic Church put out under John the, John Paul II. Be careful what you're defending, because if you're defending what Francis is interpreting here, I, I didn't dare say you're defending something you don't really believe. No, it's not just what's on the page there; it's how he interprets it. That's what it's supposed to mean now. So, unless you're gonna say he doesn't know the Catechism, and you might well say so. But uh, if you interpret the the Catechism of the Catholic Church of John Paul II differently than Francis does, then you have an issue with Francis, and you have a doctrinal issue with Francis, and you have a faith issue with Francis, Uh, your Pope. Um, In any case, you've got to face reality. These are things you cannot duck, you cannot avoid. You have to face the reality here. Francis goes on, Then there are traditions in some countries, in some cultures, that have a different mentality on this problem. I think that the church must must not only ask forgiveness. Like that Marxist cardinal, he says, said, and then he laughed. Francis laughed, it says here when he referred to Cardinal Marx as the Marxist Cardinal, he says the church must not only ask forgiveness to the gay person who is offended, offended by the church's position, but she must ask forgiveness to the poor too, to women who are exploited, to children who are exploited for labor. She, the church, must ask forgiveness for having blessed so many weapons. The church must ask forgiveness for not behaving many times." And then he takes uh, takes a little uh, moment to uh, clarify, okay? When I say the church, I mean Christians. The church is holy, okay? Now all of a sudden he's saying Christians must do this. We Christians, we have to apologize. It's not the church. Now he makes a distinction, you see, because he says the church is holy. But I'm sorry, the damage is done, Francis. It's too late, it's too late. We know what you mean. There was a day when uh, a man named Daniel Palarchik, the Archbishop of Cincinnati, stood before a judge, I think it was a Catholic judge here in a, in a courtroom in Cincinnati, and pleaded guilty on behalf of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati for, uh, for breaking the law and failing to protect children against predators. He did not say, no, I, Daniel Parlarczyk, failed. No, no, no. He didn't say, no, my clergy failed. No, no, it's not a personal thing. He pleads guilty on behalf of the Catholic Archdiocese of Cincinnati. Now, that, that is so low. That is such a despicable thing to do. I mean, one might as well just take Christ and say, here, he blamed him. He did it. It's his fault. <laughs> Don't blame me. I plead guilty because of him. It's all about what he did. Uh, It's all about Christ. It's like saying the church, blame the church. The church did it. I'm I'm saying the Catholic church in Cincinnati is responsible for these crimes. And the people who actually did them, they don't take responsibility, they shut it off on the church. Francis, I'm sorry, but... uh, uh, what, you're, what you're doing and saying is absolutely despicable. And uh, there's a problem people have with this, and rightly so, can, those who have any faith at all. There are those who actually find it offensive that someone, such as my, myself, point out these things. But these people should be a thousand times more offended that Francis said these things. They should be much more offended that he said these things in the first place, not the fact that somebody's actually telling you what he said. Um, you have Francis actually saying these things about the Church, the Church of Christ, Christians in general, because we have been applying our faith and living our Catholic religion, and that is offensive to some people who are committing immoral acts. We have to apologize to them for that. Well, so Francis, when Obama goes to Notre Dame and they have to cover all the crucifixes because... His eyes are offended by the sight of the crucifix. Just as they're doing in these so-called, these former Catholic countries now that are invaded by the Muslims, by the tens of thousands, to hide their faith, even in their own churches, cover their crucifix, put away their rosaries, because we don't want to offend the Muslims. Well, it all starts with Obama in this country. You have to hide these things from him when he goes to these Catholic institutions. We don't want to offend him or his fellow Muslims now that they're invading the former Catholic countries of Europe. Got to hide any any vestiges of the Catholic faith, the cross, the crucifix, the rosary, and so on. Basically, we have to apologize for our faith, Francis? No, no, we're not going to do that, no. And we're not going to apologize for you either. And heaven help those who try to apologize for you. Look, there are those who who insist that Francis must be the pope and has to be the pope. And um, I I take issue with them. I recently had someone tell me that in order for a person who is once the Pope to stop being the Pope while he's still alive is he has to formally join a non-Catholic sect and give his name to a non-Catholic religion. And I mentioned, well, the fact is he uh, is a modernist. We all acknowledge that he is a modernist and that is not the Catholic religion. And the person uh, with whom I was speaking said, well... (coughs) Yes, but modernism, as an evil, is something purely negative, so you can't make a religion out of something purely negative. And I said, well, excuse me, you just said that someone like Francis... Well, you gave me the example of someone who was a pope, could not stop being the pope unless he formally left the Church and joined a non-Catholic sect. <clears throat> but again, you, you have to agree that the very nature of, of evil it is a negative, it is a negative thing. It's an absence of truth. And so any non-Catholic sense, just as modernism itself is going to be something a purely negative, a denial. A denial of a perfection that God has, or attributing to him a perfection that he attributing to him something that he doesn't have, which is a non-perfection. Either way you're looking at it, it's a negative. It's a negation from God. So whether it's Lutheranism or any form of Protestantism or modernism, we're all talking about the same thing. So don't tell me one minute that a man who's pope can leave the church and give his name to a non-Catholic sect and a false religion, and that makes him no longer the pope, but not if he's a modernist, which we all agree, again, is a non-Catholic religion. Uh, That's exactly what it is. St. Pius X made it very clear. It is not only a non-Catholic religion, it is the negation of all religion, it is the annihilation of all religion, it is the complexness of all heresies. And, uh, you know, again, you know, we have the argument... Uh, and by the way, just as a footnote on that, I think that if you're talking about something that St. Pius X has said is the complexes of all the heresies together, then it is like a meta-Protestantism. It is a mega-Protestantism, a denial of faith. It goes far beyond Protestantism in terms of being a false religion. And the fact that a man is, in fact, a modernist and embraces modernism certainly constitutes giving his name to a non Catholic sect because we are all in agreement, I believe, that modernism is not Catholicism, but it is intrinsically hostile to Catholicism. And St. Pius says it is the, the opposite of it insofar as it, it completely eradicates Catholicism, puts the root, the head of the axe, at the very root of faith and so on. So how, how blatant can you get in the case of a modernist and a non-Catholic sect? But there are those who go on to say, well, but there are many doctors in the church and fathers who say that if a, if a pope even were to be a heretic, he would remain the pope until he were declared not the pope by the episcopacy, by the bishops of the world. And I would agree to this extent. I, I agree that ultimately the church... Itself has to make this judgment. I cannot make this judgment. Certainly not make presume to make this judgment for the, the rest of the world. I cannot do that. But to say that one cannot personally have a conviction that a person cannot be the Pope because <clears throat> of the lies and errors that he's teaching about the faith and the blasphemies he's spreading about our Lord Jesus Christ, I think that's a different matter altogether. You may say that the doctors of the faith, the theologians and so on, have said throughout the centuries, and you have a a point, and we all knew that, we we accept that, That, that's not news, have said that, well, it's not to the individual just to say, well, he's no pope, I say he's no pope, so he's no pope. No, I understand that. There has to be some uh, declaration, either by himself, let's say, joining a non-Catholic religion, or by the body of bishops getting together and saying, he has defected from the faith, and therefore, in terms of the faith, he has died. So effectively, he's dead to the faith. He's lost the papacy uh, because he's lost his life, in his spiritual life in terms of the faith. Yes, yes, there is a great deal to be said for that. I understand that. But I think there is more to it. It's not enough unto itself. I mean, a very uh, accepted way to argue is the reductio ad absurdum. You can show an argument is false, is inadequate, is flawed by taking it to its logical conclusions and showing that it is absurd, that it leads to logical absurdities. And if you're going to argue that a pope can spout heresy or heresies and he remains the pope and everyone must acknowledge him as the pope until the body of bishops get together and declare him dead to the faith and therefore no longer the pope, then what are you saying here ultimately? You mean a pope, he could actually get up and say, there is no God. Or say that uh, God is the life force of the universe. Or say Satan is God. That He could actually say that. And as long as the bishops don't rise up and say, we declare him having defected from the faith, having lost his faith, dead to the faith, and therefore no longer Pope. As long as the bishops don't say that, that a man who was ever the Pope could actually stand before the world and say, I worship Satan because he is the true God. He is still the Pope and the vicar of Christ on earth until the bishops get together and say, no, he's not. I say that's absurd. You're missing something very important here. That is absurd. You have to uh, think things through here and understand where you're going with this. If you want to convince people of this point and you're going to lead them in that direction to think, well, he must be the Pope because the bishops haven't said he's not. And they're all modernists. They've been put in place precisely to support him and to uphold him. And so they're not going to do this because they have the same faith he does. It's called modernism. It's not Catholicism. And so a man can stand there before the whole world, kiss the Koran out of reverence, which denies the divinity of Christ. And everyone is just supposed to smile knowingly at each other and say, well, there goes the Pope again. I'm sorry, that's absurd. This isn't right. Your arguments are flawed. No matter how many pages you put in the book or how much ink you spill on this issue, You've got to go back to the drawing board and rethink your arguments because you're leading people in the wrong way. The Society of St. Pius V doesn't presume to make that judgment for the whole church, but she does. The Society of St. Pius X just acknowledges that there's, there's a reasonable doubt, there's an objective doubt about the papacy of whether Francis ever was the Pope in the first place. I mean, look, be a Pope. Has to accept the office of the papacy. A man can be validly elected pope by not only the the great majority of counts uh, of cardinals. He can be elected by the unanimous vote of the cardinals. But he's not the pope until he accepts the office. He has to have a knowing, intelligent understanding of the office he's accepting because. He's accepting responsibilities. We apply that in marriage, we apply that in ordination, we apply that in any number of ways to accept the responsibility for what you're doing. And so a pope, even if he were elected by the, by the unanimous vote of all the truly elected, truly named cardinals in the world, even St. Pius himself did not become pope until he accepted the office of the papacy. And he knew exactly what he was accepting. Francis doesn't even believe in the papacy, he doesn't even believe in the Catholic papacy. He's made it clear what his view of the papacy is. It's straight out of the pages of Beshendi, condemning the errors of the modernists. He is a modernist in his faith. He believes the modernist concept of the papacy, that is what he accepted, that is what he's embraced. It's not the Catholic concept of the papacy. Could a man who doesn't even believe in the Catholic concept of the papacy accept the office? He doesn't even think it exists. How can he embrace an office, accept an office he doesn't even think exists? Well, my dear people, I mean, I consider these to be very serious questions. And uh, that's why I say I think this whole state of the issue is a pit. It's just a pit for Catholics, traditional Catholics, to fall into uh, and waste our time and energy battling with each other over a question that is simply beyond our confidence to answer in any doctrinal or dogmatic way, I do believe that we can have our own personal opinions on the matter, but I do believe also it would not change the practice of our faith. We would simply continue rejecting the things that Francis is is teaching that are contrary to the faith, the things that are anywhere from heretical to just offensive to pious ears. We, We would reject these things because they cannot come from Christ. Pure and simple, they cannot come from Christ. So in any case, um, when we when we look at the, the answers that, that Francis is giving to these interviewers, he calls it magisterium. We know it is not magisterial, and it is not magisterium, it is not the voice of Christ. And we have to say, no, no, I, I will not follow this. I cannot follow this. But at least I would like to think we can agree but we should agree, that there is a serious problem that goes beyond the conventional solutions and that the solutions that are being pretended and offered by the various extremes of the extreme dogmatic state of consciousness on the one hand and the extreme sede occupatists on the other or plainists, plainists on the other saying he absolutely is the Pope, the whole Pope, and nothing but the Pope, and you have to accept him as Pope, no matter what he says or does, until the bishops tell you as a body that he's not. Or the extreme state of, uh, dogmatic state of the God is to say, he's not the Pope, not the Pope at all, he never was, we, we declare and define that he's not the Pope, as though they have the authority to make the decision for all the the world. That both of those positions actually lead to absurdities. And uh, that really, we we should say exactly what we can say, and no more. And we can say there's an objective doubt about this. Uh, and because there's an objective doubt, the authority with which Francis presumes to speak is doubtful. And because that authority is in doubt, to us here on earth, living this mortal life uh, as via Torah is living living this mortal life. As far there's a doubt that is there for us an objective real doubt in our minds that this man can be the Pope. And his authority, therefore, is doubtful and in question. We know by the principles of Catholic theology that we are not obliged to follow a doubtful authority or a doubtful voice. And that is Francis. Francis's voice is a clear manifestation of the diabolical disorientation that Our Lady warned about at Fatima.